I read a story this week uh, about a man who worked the uh, four to midnight shift. Any, any other night owls in here? Okay, no, they're all home sleeping. So uh, he worked a four to midnight shift and uh, for whatever reason didn't have a vehicle. And so he had to walk home every night when he got off work at midnight. And of course it was, it was dark, like it tends to be at midnight. And, uh, you know, but he had, he had figured out his route. Well, uh, one night he was in a, in, a, in a special hurry and it was a full moon out. And so he realized that if he cut through this cemetery that he walked by every night on his way, home, he might be able to get home a little different. So since there was a full moon and, and some extra light, he decided, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take a stab at it. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to swallow it. I'm going to pull up my pants like a big boy, and I'm going to walk through the cemetery. I'll be fine. There's no such thing as ghosts anyway. So he walks through the cemetery. And uh, as he's going, although the full moon was adding light, there was a space where the grounds crew had dug a new grave and the vault company hadn't been in yet to put the vault in the ground and cover it over. So there's this open hole that he doesn't see and wouldn't you know it, he falls in the hole in the, in the ground in the cemetery. Well, he, it's, you know, it's the middle of the night and he wants to get home. He doesn't want to be stuck in this this hole, this grave. And so he, he tries climbing up the, the sides of the, uh, you know, of the hole to, to get out, but he's just not getting anywhere. It's not happening. He realizes after, after frantically trying for a while, his energy's gone. He's not going to be able to climb out of the hole. So he does what any resourceful person would do. He says, well, I might as well take a nap until the sun comes up. So he, uh, you know, he walks over to the far part of the hole and he sits down and kind of you know, snaps his, his jacket up around his neck and his ears and, and uh, closes his eyes and, and hopes that in the morning he'll be able to get someone's attention. So he's having a nice little nap in this hole in the ground in the cemetery when, as fortune would have it, some other sap also was cutting through the cemetery and also fell in the same hole. Like, how's this going to happen, right? And uh, the thud is the second guy hits the ground, wakes up uh, the, the, the guy who's sleeping in the corner, and, and he watches as the other guy does the same thing he did. He tried to climb up the side and you know, do, doing everything he can to get out of this hole in the ground in the cemetery. And eventually, our, the guy who had been there first kind of felt like he might want to help this other guy, and so he... Uh, he cleared his throat and he said, <clears throat> you're not going to get out that way. <laughs> and wouldn't you know it, the guy got out. <laughs> I guess something about a voice in an empty grave helps you discover abilities and powers you didn't realize you had, right? So if you have ever had an experience where you come to the realization that you have abilities and powers, there's something at your disposal that you didn't realize was there until something shifted and something changed. And then, whoa, look at that. I can do that. I'm not talking about like superheroes, right? I'm not talking about you can leap tall buildings with a single bound or, um, you know, you're a, you're a billionaire. And so you can buy all the coolest tech that makes you look like you do cool stuff. I'm just talking about those regular things, those times when something happens in life, something shifts and now the things that you used to think were out of your reach, that you'd never be able to do, that your, your parents or your friends or your teachers always said were going to be too much for you, now for some reason, you have that ability, you have that power. What I'd like to do with the next few minutes that we have together today is I'd like to uh, remind you or share with you about an ability and a power that's available to all of us 
if we'll choose to tap into it. And, and uh, in, in, uh, in the Bible, in, in, in the way that, that we relate to Jesus, to, to God, and to each other, uh, we call that power, that ability, prayer. We're going to be looking in Luke chapter 11. If you brought a Bible or if you can find one in a pew in front of you, we're going to be looking in Luke chapter 11. And if you're not familiar with where to find it, there's a table of contents at the beginning of the Bible, and uh, you can look there. We've been looking at Beulah for the last several weeks. We've been looking together at the book of Luke to see what we can learn from Jesus about praying. You see, we believe Jesus was God, God in the flesh. And so uh, as we read Luke's account of Jesus' life, we see that Jesus is praying all the time. Like every time you turn a page in the book of Luke, Jesus is praying again. And so we're asking, what can we learn from Jesus about this this act of praying? And we've seen that Jesus prayed a lot. He prayed at special events. He prayed when he needed to make important decisions. He prayed um, when he was facing opposition. He prayed when success came knocking. He prayed alone. He prayed with other people. He prayed on the mountains. He prayed on the beaches. He prayed when people expected him to and when they didn't expect him to. He prayed when people were listening so they could hear, and he prayed when it was uh, just he and and just God, and, and so only God would hear. Jesus was praying all the time. And somewhere in the midst of all that praying, these followers that he had, these disciples, began to realize his prayers accomplish something. Ours don't. There's something different when he prays. And so finally, they, they wised up and they said, maybe we should ask him how to pray like he does. And so that brings us to Luke 11. I'm going to start reading today at verse 1. Luke writes, one day Jesus was playing, praying excuse me, in a certain place. Can you tell me what that place was, anybody? No. Because one of the things that I think Luke is saying here is it's not really important where he was praying. There's not like a, a special prayer. We don't have to, you know, face a certain way or bow down or go to a certain place to pray. We can pray anywhere at any time. So it was, it was a day, one day, and Jesus was praying just in a, in, a, in a certain place that doesn't really matter. And when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray. And this is the only time, at least that I can find in the Gospels, uh, in the stories of Jesus's life, where someone says to Jesus, would you teach us something? I mean, he was all the time teaching, but as far as I know, this is the only place where someone actually said to him, we would like for you to teach us this thing. So Lord, would you teach us to pray just as John taught his disciples? He said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we also forgive everyone who sins against us. And lead us not into temptation. So Jesus' followers begin to realize when he prays, something different happens than when they pray. And so they say, teach us how to pray. And he gives them kind of this basic outline for how to pray. Now, if you've been around church for a while, or maybe if you uh, grew up in a Catholic church or a Catholic school, you've probably heard this prayer, and it may have even sounded a little bit different, differently than today. Usually in, in church land, when we do the Lord's Prayer, 
we pray the version that Matthew recorded. Matthew tells also the story of Jesus' life, and he was just a little wordier than Luke was. So the Lord's Prayer in Matthew chapter 6 is a little bit longer, and it's the one we would recognize. But see, the point isn't the exact words. The point is what Jesus is trying to outline here. And, and so... Um, You've probably heard it different ways. You've probably even heard multiple sermons, if you've been going to church for a while, on the Lord's Prayer. What do you do when you procrastinate? Like, what's your procrastination of choice? For me, I just like to go back and figure things out that nobody really cares about. And so when I was procrastinating this week, writing this sermon, I went back and I looked at our records. And in the five years I've been here, we have preached on the Lord's Prayer. I wrote it down here a total of 25 times. So for those of you who are good at math, that's 10% of the Sundays over the course of five years, we've taken the Lord's Prayer and taught about it. Now I say that to say that if you're interested, if you want to hear each phrase, each request, each part broken down, I'd be happy to point you to where you can find those because we've got scads of them. What I want to do today is not necessarily look at each phrase or, or each part of the prayer, but, but what I want to do today is understand that what Jesus is doing here is not giving us a prayer to memorize and to recite, but he's teaching us some things about prayer that are important. And so if we're going to tap into the, uh, the, the power that we have, then it's these things that matter. So what I want to do today is I'm going to look at three observations about the Lord's Prayer, at least as it's written in Luke, and then maybe three ways that could impact our decision to pray. So the first thing I'm going to look at is that the, the prayer is brief, right? This is a, a pretty short prayer. Now, if you've been here for other sermons in this series, that may surprise you. For example, last week, uh, we read a passage where it said that Jesus spent all night praying, like he pulled an all-nighter, but not to write a term paper, it was to pray. Now, that's not a brief prayer, so it might surprise you that when the disciples say, teach us how to pray, Jesus actually prays like a, a very short prayer. As a matter of fact, in English, depending on what version you have, it's, it's about 34 words. In the original language, it's like 38 words, but but here in a social media society, catch this. If you were to copy and paste this prayer from an electronic Bible text into Twitter, you could tweet it. It's less than the, than the number of characters that you can put on Twitter, only 187 characters. So why so short? I mean, when Jesus is teaching us how to pray, why such a short prayer? I mean, I prayed longer than that just for the offering today. What's up with that? I would suggest that one of the goals of prayer is to help reconnect us or, or connect us for the first time or the first time in a long time to God. And the longer the prayer gets, the more words they are, there are, the easier it is for us to lose sight of the goal of prayer. The longer I pray, the more I say, the more that it seems like I'm trying to connect God to me and not connect me to him. And so Jesus seems to model a prayer that's designed to help us stay connected or reconnect to God, not the opposite. The prayer is short. The prayer is brief. Second thing I want to notice is, is that the, the prayer is real. 
the prayer is real. Again, let's just look real quickly at the content of what Jesus said, starting in verse 2. He says, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. There's like this, this sense as you read this, like something here needs to change because what's happening here isn't working, right? Like the little joke Larry made about healthcare. I think most of you caught that. Some of you rolled your eyes, some of you laughed, but, but we all have this sense, no matter how we view the world and politics and what have you, something fundamentally here is broke. And we need something to change that. I mean, this, this prayer is real about what we need. Your kingdom come. Uh, give us each day our daily bread. And so by this point in, in my life, and maybe you can relate, I feel fairly confident in my ability to provide for my family. And yet I also understand that at a moment's notice, it could be gone. I mean, anything, any number of things could happen that would make my confidence and, and the ability God's given me to, I mean, it could just take away that, that ability to provide. And so there's a sense like there's, there's more to what I need daily than, than I can always be on top of. And, and it's not just a matter of, um, you know, the daily bread. Sometimes the, uh, the, um, the, the, the paycheck runs out before the bills do. And, and, and sometimes we face that and, and I, we, just, we just need help. Or, or sometimes it's not even about material things. It's a, uh, like, I just need help. I need to understand. I, sometimes I know what to do in specific situations and sometimes I don't. Like, sometimes I just, I'm confident and sometimes I'm, I'm not. And, and I just need God to provide something for me. Sometimes, for those of you who know me, this won't be a stretch, Sometimes I really get sideways with people. And, and like I say, I say things that I don't mean to be hurtful, but, but I hurt people I love. And, and so sometimes I need God's help figuring that out, which really is kind of like the next part of the prayer where we see that the prayer is real. Like, forgive me. Like, I, I don't know about you, but I'm constantly having to say in prayer, God, forgive me. Man, I really stepped in at that time. I don't know what I was thinking, but God, is there anything that we could do to make this right? But notice that, again, we're, we're talking about the fact that the prayer is real. It's not just, oh, I, I don't know if I can share this. Yeah, I'm going to share this with you. So um, last Saturday, my wife and I went to University Park Mall. We had some time, and uh, I have a computer that a month ago was diagnosed as needing a new battery, but I didn't have time to replace the battery. So last Saturday, we had some free time, and uh, I said, let's go to the Apple store and let's just let's get this taken care of. Um, I knew all the details about who I met with a month ago and what she told me, and so I'm thinking, this is going to be a piece of cake. We'll go in there, we'll drop it off, we'll go get some Chick-fil-A, we're home, it's done. So, um, because why else would you go to Mishawaka other than University Park Mall and... Seriously, anybody who can get a Chick-fil-A in Elkhart or Goshen, you've got free life preschool tuition. All right, I'm just saying that now. So we walk into the Apple store, and uh, I tell them I'm there. My, my, my laptop needs a new battery. It's already been diagnosed. They're like, okay, it's going to be 50 minutes till you can see a genius. I'm like, I see a genius every morning when I look in the mirror. No, I'm kidding. Uh, I, said, I said, okay, that's fine. They, I give them my cell phone number because they're going to text me when it's time. So my wife and I, we walk around the mall, and then we go to 
Chick-fil-A. We eat our food. We time it right. I'm walking back into the Apple store. As my phone buzzes, we're ready for you. I pull the text out. I show it to the, the lady, and she's like, great. Just go have a seat up there at the Genius Bar. Someone will be with you shortly. Anybody else had an experience like this? I'm like, fantastic. We got Chick-fil-A. It's been a little longer than I wanted. We're almost home. And I sit there for 30 minutes. Well, my wife and I sit there for 30 minutes watching, waiting, going, what in the world? You already know what's wrong with my, just come, help, take my laptop, please, let me go. Finally, she comes over and uh, she said, well, I'm sorry, sir, I know I helped you a month ago, but we've got to run all the diagnostics again. Like my battery didn't get any better in four weeks. Trust me, that's not how life works. So she did it and I'm, you know, we're being polite and I'm carrying a conversation with her and, uh, and then suddenly, boom, she's gone. She just disappears. 10 minutes go by, 15 minutes go by. Keep in mind, it's already been more than an hour and a half since we first stepped foot in the store. It's a really long story. Thanks for bearing with me. I didn't realize it was going to be this long. Um, Sean comes over. Sean is the manager of the store, has been since it opened, good friend of mine. He just comes over, not as a manager, but as a friend. He says, hey, Earl, how it's go- how's it going? I'm like, Sean, I've been sitting here for 45 minutes and she just disappeared. I don't know where she went. All you have to do is take the laptop so you can replace the battery. What's going on? He's like, I'm so sorry. I'll be right back. And he walks away. And wouldn't you know it? I mean, he wasn't even through that big silver door. And I'm looking at my wife going, man, I am such a jerk. Like he just came over to say hi to a friend. And I unloaded on him because he's a store manager and his employees aren't doing what I think they should be doing. And so Sean comes back and I'm like, Sean, I am so sorry. That that was just rude of me. He's like, you know, he, he was like, no, that's fine. I don't know about you though. I'm always doing stuff like that. And this prayer is real. We constantly need forgiveness, not just to be forgiven by God, but, be, but, but to forgive others. We, we constantly need to go to other people and ask for forgiveness and, and extend forgiveness. It's, it's, it's real. Even, even the way the prayer closes Lead us not into temptation, or some, some versions say into testing. Help me when I get into difficult situations that are too much for me, that I, I don't know what to do. Will you help me with this? The prayer is about real things that we all deal with. Jesus is teaching us not just to pray these words, but to pray about where the rubber meets the road, where life actually happens, where we're struggling, where we're messing up, where we need help. It's the real things that this prayer is about. And then third, this prayer is relational. Relational. Notice before Jesus even starts the prayer, he said to them, when, you may not see it in English, but it's actually a plural. So when y'all pray... And then he continues, and you can read it through the prayer. When you all pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, give, what's the next word? Us, each day, our daily bread. Forgive us, our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us and lead us not to temptation. Throughout There's these plural pronouns. There's this sense that even though I may be the one praying, it's not all about me. There's a relational component. Uh, This teaches us that prayer is a relational endeavor. 
Prayer isn't just about tapping into some kind of power that we didn't know we have. That's a benefit of it. It's not like we, we make our, our list and we take it to the mall and we wait in line for an hour and then we sit on Santa's lap and tell him everything we want for Christmas and we're going to get it. Prayer is a relational, it's a relational conversation. It's when two people who know each other, one of them who knows the other perfectly, and, and, then, and then me or you, whoever's praying, we're still learning to know our Heavenly Father. But uh, it's, a, it's when we know each other and we trust each other. And so we share, we talk, we communicate. Prayer is a relational endeavor. Most importantly about all of that, notice how Jesus starts the prayer. When you pray, say, Father. Jesus is teaching us that prayer isn't subjects groveling before the king, begging for him to be merciful. It's not, you know, it's not homeless people begging a rich guy for a few bucks. It's not an ATM where we plug in what we want or what we need and it'll be spit out. It's an intimate conversation where we have a chance to talk with the only one who knows us perfectly, better than we know ourselves, with the one who created everything, with the one who's at work in ways that we don't even see. So what do we do with these three observations or these three thoughts about prayer? How do they, if we choose to pray or when we pray, how do they impact how we should pray? First of all, I would say, remember that short isn't subpar. Remember that short isn't subpar. So sometimes we think in life that shorter things aren't as good. Uh, so for example, um, I have a wonderful wife. We've been married for 21 years. Her name is Sarah. And we love, there's nothing more we love than to go on extended getaways. And if we can ride the motorcycle, that's even better. Um, the reality is that right now in this season of life, we just can't get away for extended vacations or retreats. Someone said to me recently, uh, Earl, you're in the most expensive and busiest season of life. Three teenagers at home. And uh, if you've been there, you can imagine. And if you haven't been there yet, in a few years, you'll look back and say, someone once said to me, okay, and it's true. We just can't get away. We don't have the time. We don't have the resources. And so what we've decided to do is to carve out little short times when we can be together. I told you about our little trip to Apple where I, you know, put my foot in my mouth. Well, that was because our youth pastor here, Pastor Andrea, this last weekend, she planned back-to-back -back events. How cool is that? Friday night and Saturday morning, the kids were here. That's, that's an empty nest for us, so we're out of here. We're going we're gonna to make the most of this. So we, we, we ate dinner on Friday night. We, we wasted time at the Apple store on Saturday. Man, there I am doing it again. We spent time together in the Apple store on Saturday. It was great. Most nights of the week, we go for a walk around our neighborhood. We don't live in a big neighborhood, but... You know, the slower you walk, the more time you have together. So um, we tell the kids they can't go. We want them to get their exercise too, but not during mom and dad time. That's our time alone. We can't go on these extended vacations like we'd like to, but we can carve out short, small times when we can be together. And that works for us. We don't say, well, someday it'll get better. We just say, we're glad we could spend some time together, just the two of us. Short isn't subpar, and that, that's true about prayer too. 
Listen, I get it. Sometimes the only time that you can pray is when you're hiding in the bathroom, hoping your kids don't realize that you're in there. Sometimes it's when you're sitting in the life preschool pickup line, watching that annoying digital clock in your vehicle click down the minutes until silence is no more. (laughs) We've all been there. Sometimes it's uh, on your lunch break when you go out to the parking lot and sit in your car, not because it's comfortable, because that's the only place where you can be alone without your supervisor hounding you about the project that isn't done yet. And and so while you wolf down your food, uh, uh, you're also praying. I mean, sometimes that's just the way life is. We can't always spend a morning praying or a day praying. We can't always do weekend prayer retreats. Um, We can't always stay awake long enough at the end of the night to have a long prayer time before our husband rolls over and starts snoring. Can I get an amen? My wife would have if she was here. Um, So that's okay. Short isn't subpar. The important thing about prayer isn't how long it is. It's that it's said. Doesn't matter how many words it takes to say it or how long it takes to get it out. The important part is to pray, to to talk about what's going on, to ask for the help that you need. Secondly, I would say um, when you pray, be you. When you pray, be you. The prayer is incredibly real. And so when you say your prayer, just be who you are. So my wife and I host a small group every Sunday night, most Sunday nights in our home. Sometimes it's in other people's homes. Um, and, and it's really just designed for people who say, I want to keep growing as a Christian. And, and, I, and, and I know that I need to be around other people to do that. And, and so we do three things every week in our small group. And if you're in our small group, um, you can testify to this. We eat together, clearly. Um, we discuss not, not just like discuss the Bible, like what's it mean and what's it say, but we specifically discuss what does it mean for my life? What do I need to apply from what I'm learning? And we pray together. And so it never fails when people are new to our group or even when they've been in our group for a while. When it comes time for prayer, sometimes we'll just ask people to pray aloud for certain prayer requests. And, and sometimes people are like, I, I don't, that's not really me. I'm, not, I, I'm a little nervous about that. I'm, I'm uncomfortable. I, I, don't, I don't pray good out loud. And usually my response is something along the lines of, really? Like, I really enjoy talking to you. Now, some people would say those two things don't, those aren't the same. Like having a conversation with a friend and and prayer, those, those are two totally different things, but I don't think they are. I think when we pray, God wants us to pray just like who we are. So here's the deal. Um, I've spent a few years studying uh, I've gone to, you know, school and grad school and all that stuff. And, and, uh, and, and I've learned things about the Bible and about, I've studied the names of God and who he is. And so when I pray, when Pastor Earl prays, it would make sense that, like, I would sometimes just randomly insert verses from Scripture into my prayer. Or that I would maybe talk about God in a way that, that I've learned through my studies that means something to me. Or, or that I would use words that maybe I wouldn't, you know, normally use in everyday conversation with you as a friend. Because this is who I am. I've spent my life studying and learning about God. Of course it's going to come out in prayers. That's who I am. At the same time, a few weeks ago, I stood at my, um, I stood at my dying grandma's, grandma's bedside 
and tried to lead my family in prayer and had no idea what to say. I stuttered and stammered and uhed and ummed and, I mean, like I was a preschooler doing this. And in that moment, that's who I was too. You know, when you pray, you don't have to use big words. You be you. Talk to God based on who you are and what your experience has been, on what you're experiencing in that moment. That's okay. That's what God wants to hear. And if you're more concerned about, like, how do I sound? What's God going to think of my... God's not judging your prayer. And if you're praying with a group of believers, my guess is they're not judging your prayer either. And if that's what you're concerned about, it's not really prayer. What you're doing is giving a speech. Prayer is an intimate conversation between you and God. And even if you're praying aloud in a group of other people, just be yourself. Just talk to him like you would talk to anyone else. That is what makes prayer real. And finally, I would say, um, what, do we, what do we do with what Jesus taught us in regards to our prayers? Um, pray to your heavenly Father. Pray to your heavenly Father. So last night I was with some friends, and one of them, uh, a, a couple, a husband and wife, told this story. Um, a number of years back, the husband had gone up to put, they have four girls, um, and they, they were quite young at this point, and he'd gone upstairs to put them to bed. And they had a nightly ritual where he would read them a story and then tuck them in bed. And, and probably you've had these rituals or do have these rituals with your children, right? Well, this particular night, the girls couldn't agree on what he was going to read to them. They hadn't picked out a book like they were supposed to. And so he said to them, you guys are all need to decide on what you're going to read, come to a conclusion, and then I'll be back up and I'll read you and tuck you, in, read you and tuck you into bed. So he says that, and he starts, he goes, and he's walking downstairs, and he gets to the bottom of the stairs, and something tells him to turn around. So he turns around and looks, and here stands his youngest daughter. And he, you know, he's a father who's just told his children what to do. It's bedtime, and, and, and she's not, he says, what are you doing? And she says, well, Daddy, I'm coming to conclusion. She had no idea what the word conclusion meant, but she was bound to determine that whatever it was, she was going to come to it, and Daddy must know the way. You know, it got me to thinking that sometimes things in life can be confusing. Sometimes understanding the idea of God as our Heavenly Father is just as difficult as it was for that young girl to understand what a conclusion was. And, and I think the reality is that, that sometimes, for some of us, the word God has had so much baggage piled on it. Sometimes the word Father has had so much baggage piled on it. And we try to put those two ideas, those two words together, and it doesn't mix well. The baggage doesn't travel well together. You know, I, I don't know if you can relate to that. I don't know if that's your story. But it's important to know that when you pray, you are praying to a God that wants to have a loving relationship with you. God loves you. He knows where you are and he understands where you're coming from. God's not sitting in heaven marking his book with all the things you've done wrong. He's not rehearsing all the wrong that's been done to you. 
He sees you in light of that, but it doesn't define his love for you. And he's not judging your prayers. He's not saying, well, you know, next time if your prayer isn't so lame sounding, maybe I'll answer it. That's not how God works. God loves you. And even if, you're, even if this, this word father has a ton of baggage that makes it hard to, to relate to this, he sees you as his child and he loves you the way you are. And he's just so glad to have the opportunity to talk to you and for you to talk to him. That's the God to whom Jesus prayed when Jesus tried to teach his followers to pray, or when he did teach us to pray, that's the way he wanted us to engage with the one to whom we're praying as our father who loves us. This is the God that we at Beulah Missionary Church and in Life Preschool, this is the God we teach about. A God who loves you and wants to have a relationship with you. And if you don't know what that means, if that's not the God you've been told about, if it's been a whole long time since you've had anything to do with that God, or never, then the invitation is simple. Would you give us a chance to show you that God in action? Would you, would you come back next Sunday? Would you join us on Wednesday nights at 5.30 for, for a free dinner? And just watch and see, come and experience this God who loves you and who wants to be your father, who wants nothing more than to be in that kind of relationship where you know that he knows everything about you and he loves you. Now here's the deal. I don't, you know, I don't know everyone here. I don't know if you're praying people. I don't know if you're prone to prayer. I don't know if you pray every chance you get or only when someone forces you to. But here's what I'd like to invite you to do. If you've not been in the habit of praying, if this idea of God as a heavenly father kind of rankles, it's like a sour burp in the back of your throat. I'd like to invite you over the course of the next month for 30 days, just to pray this simple prayer. God, would you show me how much you love me? If prayer hasn't been your thing or if you're not sure about this God stuff, I'm going to invite you just once a day for 30 days just to pray that. Out loud if no one else is around or just in your mind if you feel weird doing it out loud. Just God, would you show me how much you love me? And then I want to invite you over the next 30 days as you pray that prayer to do everything you can to have an open heart and an open mind to what God may show you. This idea of prayer, this action of prayer, this relational conversation is one that gives us an opportunity to tap into power and abilities that we didn't know we can access. My hope for you is that if you're not in the habit of praying, that you'll give it a try. And if you are in the habit of praying, Maybe today is a refresher, a reminder of what Jesus designed for our prayers. They don't have to be long, but they do need to be real. And when we pray, we're praying to someone who sees us and knows us and loves us. 
Will you bow and pray with me? Heavenly Father, thank you for this opportunity we've had today to, uh, to be together, to watch the children sing and wave and, and just be real, just be who they are. To make sure that mom and dad and grandma and grandpa saw and knew what they were doing. Father, would you help me and, and help us as, uh, in the times when we pray that, that we would be like that, that we would be real, we would be who we are, that we would remember that, uh, that in prayer we're talking to our Heavenly Father, that you see everything about us, all the good, true, and you love us. Father, would you help us to experience your love so that we can continue to know you as our Heavenly Father. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. One of the things we like to do here is we like to bless one another as we go, so I'm gonna ask you to stand. And uh, as you're standing, let me tell you how this works. I'm gonna stretch my hands out. I'm gonna pronounce a blessing, and then I would ask when I'm done if you would all just repeat, and also to you, as that way we'll bless one another as, uh, as fellow humans and brothers and sisters in Christ. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord turn his face towards you and be gracious to you. May the Lord cause his face to shine on you and give you his peace. Amen. You are loved. Go with God's grace.